We'll check it out, y'all. We got what you need. We're all living in apartments, condos, vans. Well, dude, even you can have a studio. A studio in a box. Yes, we can help you with that right here at Blind Knowledge. We work on your budget, and we figure out your measurements. We'll get you the best sound for the best price. Let me know, 877-237-1143 or at blindknowledge.com. Yep. Welcome to another episode of Paranormal, the new, new Normal. I'm your host as always, Jeremy, and I am here to try to make the world a little more normal. Does it ever happen? Uh, no. <laughs> no, no, and uh, no. But you know what? We keep we keep trying because that's what soldiers that's what soldiers do. They carry on and face the adversity, and that's what we're doing tonight. So my guest tonight might actually help us make the world seem a little more normal, at least from what we can perceive. And my guest tonight is Ann Hall, astrophysicist and a member of the Average Scientist Collective. I didn't know what to call you guys, but. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's good. That's good. Collective, uh, group of mad scientists trying to take over the world, which one works, you know. <laughs> well, thank you for having me, Jeremy. It's a pleasure to be on the podcast and live. Yes, I'm glad to have you on, Ian. And um, first things first, how's it going over there where you are? Because I know it's late. It is late, yeah. It's just past midnight, so it's my favorite time of the evening, actually. It's nice and quiet. Everyone else is in bed, and um, yeah, it's pretty pretty nice and peaceful. So I'm looking forward to a nice chat with you. The, the best chats always happen late at night anyway, so I'm good. I agree. I've been in many bars where that happens. So <laughs> <laughs> Me too, me too. Well, see, the first question I ask everybody on this show is, what got you into this world of paranormal supernaturalness <laughs> well for me i suppose it's more directed at, at science um rather than necessarily um paranormal as such. but um yeah i guess from a young age i've always had kind of a fascination with numbers um you know that was a big thing when i was when i was growing up i was quite i was quite a nerd which um, wasn't fashionable at the time and then now since has become fashionable when it's too late for me to take advantage of that. <laughs> um, <laughs> and 
and I, I was kind of fascinated by these TV programs that we that we used to show um, in the in the eighties in the UK. So things like um, Arthur C. Clarke's World of Strange Powers. If you ever saw that, we had uh, we had a show on the BBC called Tomorrow's World, which was kind of a science based program about technology. Um, and f- sort of future innovation and things like that. And um, ultimately then just moving on, sort of graduating through to things like the sky at night with um, Patrick Moore and, and then some of the, uh, you know, some of the other science documentaries. So that's kind of how it grew, if you like. And um, yeah, I just always had that, that strange fascination with the night sky and how things worked, but not like, you know, I guess like where my friends were tinkering around with, how stuff worked, like they take bits of electronic pieces and stuff like that. I was kind of like more wondering how the moon worked and stuff. So it was uh, it was a little bit of a it was a little bit of a fascination with everything numbers based. I think. What is the best way to get into it? Honestly, that's the best way to get into it. But well, all right. My next question I ask everybody is. Have you had any supernatural ex- paranormal experiences, whether it be <laughs> alien related or, or or cryptid related or spirit ghost related? Certainly, a few experiences that have been cryptic. Probably none that I would necessarily deem as paranormal or supernatural. And I think that you know the natural thing is with with um, science, you tend to look at these things extremely objectively. Um, and look for you know evidence and that type of stuff to to kind of underline your experience. So I've seen tons of things that perhaps I couldn't explain, but that doesn't necessarily mean to me that nobody could explain them. So I guess that's a bit of a cop out on that question, Jeremy. Really, but um, I think I'll probably <laughs> stand that way. on that one. <laughs> it seems that way, but that's all right. Not everybody experiences the crazy stuff that happens in this planet or on, or on this planet yeah. or around this planet. I personally am not that much of an experiencer either, so I can I could pity you and I could recognize <laughs> that pity as pity I felt for myself for many years now. But all right, so you grew up just wanting to learn about space basically. So that was your road down to being what you eventually became, which is an astrophysicist. So sure. let me ask the question that is the reason, pretty much the reason you're on the show. Are we alone in the universe? Well, I would have said that absolutely not. That as a as an astrophysicist, I think, or as a scientist, I think people um, often think that um, you know guys like us would immediately take a a really hard scientific stance on that. And this is, I think, where we can be a little bit more subjective with our answer. We can uh, certainly, from my perspective, I could um, examine some of the information that that I've learned and that I know and you know for me most definitely not there is no one Jeremy maybe with the exception of you and some of your listeners that would be less surprised if a flying saucer landed on the white house lawn than me you know the the the, cha- the chances of that whilst whilst it still feels fairly remote the possibility of um the possibility of microbial life in the universe is virtually a hundred percent i think that we'll we'll almost certainly prove that when human beings travel to mars intelligent life in the universe i think is more rare but but it's so vast with so many different possibilities um not only 
intelligent life in the sense of uh, carbon-based life like we would we would recognize within ourselves but even life that's based on a different base chemistry or um you know a, just a different version of life altogether a second genesis or a third genesis it's it's not likely in my uh, in my view it's inevitable i and i am a hundred percent with you on that yeah moose and munch can agree too i'm 100 with you on that like it's just like there i mean i've seen things in the sky that i can't explain and the government straight out admitted that ufos exist that things in the air that they can't explain and i don't believe for a second they can't explain them but i mean i'm gonna go with it for now and sure. what's going on matt glad you're watching but let me ask you this um how did it take the astrophysicist community by storm when the government admitted during COVID that UFOs are real? I think I think that we we don't take as much notice of that, um, perhaps as other people think we would, or um, maybe as even we should. I think we get so tied up with our own work and our own research, and that can sometimes be all-consuming. So. We take. I'm not going to say I didn't hear about that. Of course, I heard about that, and uh, and actually, I'm a, a huge um, follower of this story in particular. So this, uh, and I'm sure you know about this, and your listeners will do as well. This whole story that's kind of weaving out about um, Bob Lazar, uh, Jeremy Corbell, George Knapp, Louis Elizondo, all of these guys that are involved, um, and the guy from Blink Blink One Eight Two as well. Uh, Tom DeLong, isn't it, from the To the Stars Academy of Arts and Sciences. All these guys are, like, huge. And I've I've started to watch some of this stuff. Um, and what I found most compelling about that, and I guess, I mean, maybe we could have a chat about Bob Lazar in a minute. I've got a few views on Bob, which, um, sure. you know, might, might interest some of your viewers. Um, and I do, it's not like I, dis, I don't disbelieve him, but I just think some of the evidence that he put up in the past is just kind of inevitable rather than anything miraculous. But one thing that really, um, one thing that was really compelling to me when I watched it was the testimony of Commander David Fraver. Have you seen, have you seen anything with Commander Fraver? Go ahead. T tell my kid to be quiet. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So, have you ever have you seen this testimony from um, Commander Fravor? I might have heard it. I hear a lot of things on other podcasts, and yeah, I don't so always was, uh, recognize he, names. But <laughs> he was a um, he was a Navy pilot. So um, yeah, he was an, an F eighteen Navy pilot, a very high ranking pilot by all accounts. I think he was the squadron leader of the Black Aces. Um, in the U.S. Navy, which is a, a hugely, um, you know, significant and inf influential um, attachment of the U.S. Navy, and he he reportedly um, ch chased a UFO <laughs> somewhere off the somewhere off the American coast in a in a Navy exercise. Now, that's always got to be quite compelling, hasn't it, when someone of that magnitude comes forward and provides some testimony like that. So that was very interesting to me. And I think a few of my colleagues certainly more than raised an eyebrow when when that information came out. I guess when someone of real um, authority does provide some evidence and some testimony like that, it does make us listen. So, um, yeah, I just don't... I, th I think in terms of the governments and stuff like that, I don't know how you feel about um, about your your governments and stuff in the US. I just don't think that the 
government, certainly the government in the UK, is capable of playing like that level of 4D chess to keep this, you know, to keep this type of thing a secret. I mean, again, I don't know what it's like where you guys live, but around, you know, around, um, around certainly around my area where I live and in our country, they can't even get the roads correct. You know, there's big, big <laughs> holes in the road. And stuff, so <laughs> I'm not sure. I'm not sure whether they're playing 4D chess with aliens at this point. I mean, personally, and I mean, I know a lot of people that feel the same way. In America, we don't <laughs> we don't trust our government as far as we can throw most of the old geezers. But <laughs> but I mean, and I, yeah, we got potholes in the road too, and they're redoing roads constantly because they can't do them right the first time. But yeah. just because one section of the government proves um inequity to being suitable for us doesn't mean that the big dogs don't know what's going on and they it doesn't mean there's some <laughs> x doesn't mean there's some there might be there might be some kind of x files type deal in the background here where they get saved supposedly yeah. if they sacrifice so many humans to experimentation <laughs> or what have you i mean put it this way yeah. <laughs> all right well say what you want to say then i'll ask you the question i want to ask you <laughs> <laughs> no, go, no, shoot, you go, you go, you go. All right. Have you heard of the case of Valiant Thor? I don't think I have heard that case. No, tell me about it. All right. It's an American. My listeners know about this. I've talked about it before, but it's an American case, and it was it was when Eisenhower was president. I think back in the sixties, seventies. Okay. I'm, yeah. I'm not the great, I'm not that great at my presidents anymore. But um, <laughs> been out of school for a long time now, half my life. But um. Basically, this Norse alien, as they call them, human-looking aliens, supposedly came down and actually met President Eisenhower, basically landed on the White House lawn almost, but he didn't because otherwise it'd be more than the news. But you can find news articles about this. And he met President Eisenhower, and he was on Earth for a good couple months, meeting with the the Pentagon and President Eisenhower, maybe some British intelligence too, I don't know, he... No one really knows the full details of what this creature did on Earth. But supposedly he was trying to dissuade us all from doing nuclear engagements with each other. Sure. Because his race was more advanced and he knew what he was talking about. <laughs> Which you think we'd really listen, but you know, we don't really listen to anybody. We're human. But And I mean, there's so much proof of this that Eisenhower's daughter even claimed it was real and it happened. She met the creature. I don't want to call him a man, but she met the creature. She met the creature. And I mean, so there's been verified proof that this supposedly happened. So, I mean, that's kind of why I go along the lines of the government knows. And there may there already are extraterrestrials on Earth, most likely. I mean, I would almost bet on it because why wouldn't there be? Even if they're disguised like Men in Black style or whatever have you, like they're, they're on Earth somehow. And... Even if there's one sitting down in a secret office of the White House or Pentagon somewhere that no one knows about, there's there's extraterrestrials that have been helping like guide us for the last 50, 60 years at least. At least. So you, I, I guess, I guess I never really think about these things like this. I think. Um, so do you think that the governments are capable of keeping secrets at that level? Yes, because I mean, I don't know if you ever seen like the Nicolas Cage movie. Uh, National Treasure Book of Secrets, but yeah, absolutely, yeah. There is hundred percent, and this is confirmed by multiple presidents, 
there is information that only gets passed down from president to president. And there is also information that even presidents are not allowed to know about. It's at the highest ranks of the military, and even the presidents are not... I can't think of the word, but even the presidents are not, like, allowed to hear it. Okay. I mean, I can be devil's advocate there a little bit and explain a little bit about how that works from my perspective, because I do do some work in this area. So one of the projects that um, one of the projects that we're involved in quite heavily is um, the SETI project. So UCLA SETI, which is um, if you're listening, don't know what SETI is. It's the search for extraterrestrial intelligence. So this is, I guess, precisely what you're talking about and that. This SETI project is done in a number of different ways. It's been going on for a lot of years. It was once funded um, by the government, was funded by the US government for a while, but now is uh, is privately funded. And this this process is mainly examining radio signals. So this is what we try to do. We look at, um, well, two different things, really. One is radio transmissions, and the other one is uh, around tra- sort of transiting planets around um, stars outside of the Milky Way galaxy. So this is, uh, you know, a couple of different things. And we don't find any evidence of any presence as yet. You know, so there's no there's no real evidence that's been put forward to suggest that any of this extraterrestrial presence is available for us to see if we if we were kind of capable i suppose if these if these uh, extraterrestrials were capable of traversing the distances that needed to be traveled between star systems we would we would see their technological signature written across the sky but we don't see that and and actually that's that's filtered away from um you know it's filtered away from governments as such in terms of it being just purely scientific research well, i don't bounce that off a government official when i look through that type of data unless of course we think that that data has been filtered before it's come to me but i you know i guess from my perspective i would say um I, pro- I probably don't agree with you on that point in, in terms of the fact that I just don't I just don't see any evidence of it in the in the technological signatures that we look for when we when we do that SETI work. Well, and that poses the other question I was hoping to get to at some point. It's the whole debate of extraterrestrial versus ultraterrestrial. Which okay. if you don't know what ultraterrestrial is and for those listeners who don't, I'm sure you do because you heard me say it before, but ultra-terrestrial means traveling through dimensions rather than through space like extraterrestrials would, at least in the in the classic sense of what we believe extraterrestrials to be. Okay. So what, what if they're traveling through dimensions to get here, and that's why you can't track any technological tr- trace of them? So it's a good point. And, and I think uh, that the great, the great thing about science is that we will hold our hands up and say, Okay, sure, we don't know the answer to that. So some of the work on um, that area is probably work that's done at CERN in Geneva on the Hadron Collider. So this would be more in the sort of particle physics. You know, we're looking we're looking here, aren't we, for um, some other kind of force or something that interacts with matter in that way. That's what we're looking for when we're looking trans-dimensionally. And, and as yet, that... 
nothing has been discovered at CERN. But I'm a I'm a big believer in this, and I think you, if you've not heard this before, I'd like I'd love to lay claim to this quote, uh, but it's not mine. But um, absence of evidence isn't evidence of absence. And I think that's where we, I think as scientists, that's where we sit on that. So we'd have to hold our hands up and say, do you know what? Yeah, that's that's possible. It's, I mean, it's actually one of the most common belief theories that they are traveling through dimensions because it'd be, it'd be a lot easier than traveling through um, space because space travel is... Well, we wouldn't do that. Efficient. Yeah, it's not efficient. Yeah, we 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 wouldn't do that. So again, just to sort of kind of put into context some of the distances for for your listeners, if this helps you. So, the nearest star system to us, apart from um, obviously the nearest star to us, apart from our sun, is um, the Alpha Centauri Proxima Centauri system, and using the fastest machine that we've ever built, which is a Saturn V rocket. If we set off on that journey today, it would probably take us 30,000 years to get to that star system. So I do tend to agree with you that um, if we were to try and traverse these distances in a linear fashion, i.e. traveling from sort of A to B in a straight line, that really that really isn't, a pr- that isn't practical. You know, it's going to take us six months to get to Mars, and that's next door. So these distances are not ones that can easily be covered um, by by traveling in a straight line. So I do tend to agree in in a certain sense that um, if we were if we were super clever, if our physics and our science was a lot more refined and a lot more mature than it is today, then I would like to think that we probably wouldn't be traveling in straight lines in. 500 years time we would have found a way to get from a to b in a more intelligent manner yeah i i agree 100 i mean it's i mean it's like light speed or warp speed or i mean there's uh, there's a million science fiction (laughs) names for it but or even like if you want to look at it as like going to the quantum zone if you want to talk like quantum mania yeah sure like that's just the way it is. <laughs> I mean, it's very possible in terms of the um, in terms of the sort of wormhole theory. So this is something that um, you know a lot of people um, t- sort of talk about. This is it possible to travel through a wormhole from one part of space to another part of space? And that that is absolutely um, possible in terms of th- be- being theoretically possible. So. In 1915, um, Albert Einstein did his great work, The General Theory of Relativity, and that that predicted um, a lot of different types of phenomena. It predicted the uh, the manifold of space-time, which we know is true. It predicted that space-time is um, four-dimensional, so three spatial dimensions, one temporal dimension. We know that that's true. The LIGO experiment, if your viewers know or if your listeners know anything about LIGO, which is a gravitational experiment of um, in 2015, we detected <clears throat> gravitational waves. So we absolutely understand that that is real. And um, that theory of relativity predicted not only the manifold of space time and things like black holes, but it also predicted wormholes. So mathematically, uh, wormholes are absolutely possible. There's no reason why that that wouldn't, couldn't or shouldn't be proved in the next X amount of years when we find a way to, I guess, 
work on that in a in a manner that's not theoretical i think we would have to observe one it feels like quite a dangerous experiment to try and make a wormhole so i don't think that that's well, a road that we would necessarily go down but we may observe one that's either natural or uh, has been manufactured we'll get into that we're, in a minute because you brought up cern and i want to get into that but um first off <laughs> okay. I, want to, I want to say hello to my brother anthony sabalos hey buddy what's up you're Anthony's episode of this sh- that when he was on my show drops next um, Wednesday, so everybody hey, check it out. But you brought up CERN, and I did. I mean, there's <laughs> there's all these memes on Facebook and everything for CERN mm-hmm. that like, do you want to open the upside down? Because this is how you open the upside down. <laughs> and I mean, I don't know. Could could CERN be getting us into more trouble? then we're willing to deal with or able to deal with? Uh, no, I think they're pretty safe. I think they're pretty safe with what they're doing. Um, there, I mean, there was a lot of, um, I guess, concern when the uh, Large Hadron Collider first switched on. I, I think I heard people calling it like the black hole machine and stuff, which was quite, quite sensationalist. Um so no, I don't. I don't think that we'd be in trouble from any of CERN's activities. I think what they're doing is quite safe, um, and 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 actually, you know, it's not it's not actually physically possible for a black hole to swallow up the whole universe. Anyway, there's not there's more matter in the universe than a black hole can hold in one go, and they radiate as well with Hawking radiation, so they don't last forever. So I think we're pretty safe. You know, CERN can carry on accelerating particles underneath <laughs> France and Switzerland for a while and I think those guys will be okay so if you are if you are living anywhere in France or Switzerland near the Hadron Collider there's no need to move at the moment <laughs> I, think it, I think you'll be okay until uh, Demi Hydrin comes through your uh, portal <laughs> there and you see it out your window the Demi Gorgon's going to be there waiting for you but <laughs> until that day um, until that day you'll be okay <laughs> And there, I mean, there's also theories on the more conspiracy side of things that the Illuminati or the NWO have their own reasons for supporting CERN and wanting it to open up. Yeah, I've heard a few of those. I've heard a few of those. I think, and, and I guess I know a couple of people that work at CERN, and I, I don't necessarily think it's a, a, it's a con- concern of theirs. And, and actually, if you want to go visit CERN, you can you can do that now. They've uh, they're, they're, they've spent a lot of money actually on a, a brand new visitor center called the Science Gateway, and uh, that's I, I'm not sure whether that's open now um, or whether it's going to be open in a, in a few weeks. But certainly um, at some point, summer 23, that's open, so you can go along to CERN and you can observe what's going on there. Obviously, they won't let you into any of the underground parts because it's quite dangerous, but um, you can you can have a tour around the facility in the overground part and talk to some of the outreach team and the physicists they're quite they're quite open with what they're doing yes you can go you can't see the part that the reptilians and illuminati are playing the world destruction in but you can see the rest of it and <laughs> yeah, if, anybody, the... if, if any supporter of the show wants to pay for me to go to switzerland and do a live episode from the CERN <laughs> tour be my guest because i will gladly do it but i need <laughs> I, I need some financial support for that one because i can't make it to switzerland on my own on my own buck but it's quite a long it's quite a long way from you jeremy I'm sure. I'm sure. I mean, <laughs> there are a lot of countries I'd love to go to, but <laughs> but it's just not financial stability that's going to do that. But but well, since I brought it up, 
what do you think of the idea that there is a society of reptilian extraterrestrials that supposedly have been on Earth since the beginning of time? Again, I would have to cast some aspersions over that, and um, and just uh, I, I guess from a personal perspective, just casting aside the um, science part at the moment, I don't I don't think that within the UK certainly that our government are capable of keeping a secret at that level. I really don't. Um, you know, I guess if you saw, and I'm sure you guys did, some of the uh, some of the stuff that was going on during COVID with our government is quite embarrassing. So, um, you know, that, that type of stuff, um, I don't think that they would be capable of keeping a secret at that level without, without treachery spilling that out for a tabloid story or something. So, um, I don't know, I guess, I, uh, in terms of, I, I think, you know, governments keep secrets, obviously, I, I think we'd all be worried, wouldn't we, if our government and our military weren't keeping secrets from us, they, sh- they definitely should be doing that for our protection. But but uh, secrets at that level, I'm not sh- I'm not sure. Is that so? Do, is that your opinion? Do you are you are you a supportive of that? And what do you think? Uh, I suppose I'm I've almost taking over as a host of your <laughs> podcast now. What do you, so what what do you think that the these um, that these beings are, are bringing? Do you think they're bringing us technology? Do you think they're bringing us advice? Well, put it this way, and it may seem no stop no. St- nostalgia base but one of my favorite books when i was a kid was my teacher's an alien and it turned into a series eventually (laughs) yeah and one of the main theories they posed in this fiction book supposedly was that einstein was an alien and most of the scientific greats of our world were aliens who helped humanity reach the next point in scientific development so sure I don't know what I believe, honestly. I mean, it's they, crazy, I mean, I mean, I mean look, oh, oh, go ahead, go ahead. <laughs> I want to hear uh, what you guys say. I, I was just going to say, um, Einstein wasn't even a, it wasn't even a scientist. I mean, he was a probably one of the greatest scientists of all time. He was actually a patent, a patent clerk, and he he wrote the theory of general relativity in his spare time. So it was literally it was a side hustle for Einstein, which was not bad because turns out he was actually pretty good at it. But he one of his one of his great quotes, and I love this quote. Um, he said, "To be a great theoretical physicist, you need less knowledge and more imagination." And that is, which is true. Yeah, it's really true. It's very very true. To dream up something um, as elaborate and as beautiful as the theory of general relativity and the curvature of space time and all this type of stuff it would be you know it's it's crazy i i i've studied this stuff for a long time and my brain just does not work in that way um i can learn stuff i can do experiments i can do research i can write i can do all this different stuff but there are very few people i think that can think in that kind of creative but almost beautifully scientific way and then go on for generations afterwards and be proved to be correct it's amazing so in a way you know was einstein an alien who's definitely different to you and me jeremy who's oh, definitely definitely different to you and me no question about that i mean i, I didn't marry my cousin so yeah but um <laughs> <laughs> there's but, that as well yeah <laughs> i mean it, every time i think of einstein it brings me back to the family guy clip where like it shows him as a patent clerk and like <laughs> Someone goes yeah. up with an invention and like he slams their head in the window and takes the 
Pat and like fouls himself. Like it's freaking, <laughs> which it's funny because he was accused of doing that. And like that, it and I mean, if you want to look at another figure, I mean, I mean, Tesla, he was one of the greatest minds ever. And then he yeah. just strip disappears unexplained. No one to this day can explain what happened to Tesla. And to take from men in black, I'm just going to change the person they're talking about. What if he went home? <laughs> yeah. I guess we don't know. I guess we don't know. I mean, it was he was kind of crazy. He was kind of experimenting with some stuff, wasn't he? That was um, that was potentially very damaging to um, to re- religion, large government, or- everything else. Yeah, yeah, to some large organizations. You know, when when some guy steps up and says, "Oh, I'm going to I'm going to zap everyone electric through the air." And give it to these kids because they're kind of dangerous experiments, but but also um, you know that would have had a huge impact on the future of the utilities companies and all that sort of thing. And I think there's been this um, you know there's been this sort of tr- transition, hasn't there, over to things like electric vehicles and potentially in the future hydrogen-based vehicles. And the that that has met with a resistance for a long time, I think, from um, from the energy companies and the fuel companies because. We're we're kind of moving away from needing, you know, petrol and diesel in our cars, and and that's that that has a huge impact financially on people. So, I, th- I think there's there's always a case of um, you know, science is controlled in in some areas for sure. You know, research is almost certainly paid for um, by by large organisations. Not necessarily in what I do all the time. I don't think that finding you know, planets around foreign, you know, about around alien suns or um, exo moons or star quakes or anything. Else. I don't think this is particularly interesting. But when we get onto the sort of stuff like we briefly touched on with Bob Lazar, where he was, um, you know, where we're talking about things that uh, could be involved in propulsion or um, anything that could potentially be weaponized, these sort these sorts of things be, become then massively contentious don't they as to where and how that research is conducted and what is ultimately done with the results of that research and maybe also the scientists that conduct it exactly i mean just i don't know tesla has always been an enigma to me because like he and in the paranormal field he's a huge name because he believed in spirits and i mean einstein did too but tesla actually worked at trying to prove that spirits are real, and he thought he had ways to communicate with them. So there's a huge, there's a huge, yeah, I know, Moose. He did, he did. But <laughs> there's a huge love for for Tesla in the paranormal spiritual community. Like there's a huge love for him, and it's just, and his disappearance just adds to the paranormal field because it's just like all these things he was discovering. Why was he discovering them? Like and like and like, why did they make him disappear? Because of it. Like someone had to make him disappear. He didn't disappear on his own. I mean, it, I've heard reports that people went to his apartment and found like everything was just left the way he always had it. Like he did. It's not like he packed up and left and went somewhere. Like he just vanished left, one day. He left in a hurry. Or left it. Or left with a bag over his head with two men grabbing his <laughs> arms. But I mean, yeah. But it I could have been. Know. It could have been. Who knows? Who knows? But I think so. Do, do we? Do you, do you guys think that this sort of work is going on now? I mean, maybe I can help to shed some light on what goes on inside my organization or what what goes on in terms of my sort of research. Because we, it's not like we don't 
get involved in this. I think it for me, all of this stuff works around. Um, I, I would have a I would have a very similar discussion um, with guys like you as I would have with people who who were religious so people who came to me and they were like it was if i was talking to a bishop or if i was talking to a minister and and and, to, and for those guys i would say that um a- absolutely there's 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 room for f- philosophy and a belief system in in whatever that might be as long as that works within the framework of science because i think sometimes there's a a common misconception that science works in a similar way to um, conjecture or a belief system, and it doesn't. We work on facts, which are p- kind of proven over and over and over again. And sometimes, sometimes science changes its mind. And I think that can be our worst folly sometimes. Like where people will say to me, "Well, you know, you told me that," and then you know, ten years later, turns out you're wrong. So you you weren't telling me the truth at the time. And, and you know, we say to that, the retort to that is, "Well, well ten years ago, science didn't lie to you." It's just that now, ten years later, it learned some more. So we're we're refining, and that framework is built on year after year after year after year, and we we become way better at doing things like um, detecting. So this sort of thing, if we're talking about kind of like spirit energy and things like that, this is something that um, that physicists at the Large Hadron Collider would have absolutely identified. Uh, uh, a fifth force which interacts with matter would be would be something that that would would have been the hadron collider would have seen that and we, and we haven't seen that so you know i would i would never dispel anybody's belief system and say yeah you're wrong but uh, be, because we don't know but i can certainly say that the quite expensive and co- comprehensive experiments that have been conducted over things like that would suggest that they're isn't a fifth force that interacts even weakly with matter let alone strongly with matter on that in that sense so i guess that's where we would come to it from a scientific perspective we would try to nail down the facts and i i love this when we talk about when i hear and i talk talk to people about ufos and things all the time and and i'm always quite um always quite ch- kind of challenging with them when they say this and i'm like guys the the clue is in the you like you shouldn't get shouldn't get any further past that um and and it it makes it sort of makes me laugh when when people say oh i've seen something you know it's a ufo i don't know what it is therefore it must be aliens i'm like wow that escalated quickly you know like three seconds ago you didn't know what it was and now you've identified it as a as a craft from another planet with an intelligent civilization on board that's a that's a big leap from i don't know what it was to i've i know exactly what it is so i think that's probably where we sit on things like this it's not that we don't it's not that we disagree or it's not that we think that um anybody is wrong or foolish for their opinion it's just that we kind of work on this methodical um fact basis where each of those facts is researched and proven and repeated and and we come to a conclusion based on that so if i kind of if I spout some evidence back, or if I, you know, um, lay some lay some facts on the table, those those facts in that have been researched and and um, repeated within that framework over and over again, which I think, you know, uh, should make us more confident that they they're a better representation of the truth as we understand it. Does that make sense? Yeah, it makes complete sense. I mean. And of course, you're going to look at everything from a more scientific angle than I would because you're a scientist by nature. I mean, it's just, yeah. I mean, I was, 
I was of a scientific mind most of my life until I got into the paranormal and just there's more out there than science can explain. And that's the problem. Like that's, yeah. that's the biggest issue with the paranormal is there's more out there than science can explain. Joke. But what do you think though of like a couple months ago, when there's all these reports of UFOs being shot down by people in, over America. And supposedly the, the government says, Oh, it's Chinese weather balloons that can, are trying to record us. Yeah. Okay. That was a strange one, wasn't it? That was a strange one. That that, yeah. I mean, it's gathering pace again at the moment, isn't it? There seems to be a lot of this stuff, and you know, I think that we've seen from events that have gone on in the past that sometimes um, explaining things off as something that the that the that the general public would buy into on a large scale, like UFOs, is a is a convenient smokescreen sometimes like it's the lesser of two evils who who knows what was going on but if if people want to believe that story actually that's quite convenient for us because there's something far more sinister or far worse or far more embarrassing that actually went on so yeah i mean i, I guess my problem with this and i don't know i'm a big i'm a big advocate of um one of your one of your own sons neil degrasse tyson and I, I listen to him a lot on this subject and i totally agree with him and i i would just say like we live in a we live in a, a society now where a huge percentage of people have got like a 4K high definition camera in their pocket. I've got, Jeremy, I've got a 4K doorbell. How crazy is that? I can see when someone rings the doorbell at my house, I can see them in 4K before they enter my house. So I would, I would kind of say to this, where, where are the images there are so many cameras out there. I can understand it from the 60s or the 70s or even the 80s or even the 90s. But these days, everyone, or not everyone, but a huge percentage of people are, are carrying these high-definition cameras around in their pocket. And, you know, we can talk to each other like you and I are doing now. And, you know, we can have this conversation and our, our, uh, our conversation is unrestricted. And we're communicating over thousands of miles and our voices and our images are flying through the sky there's no reason why we shouldn't have seen pictures of these things is there that that would be my view on it. it's just a personal view actually nothing scientific well, at all i'm like show me the pictures i want to say well, I, nobody wants to see the pictures more than me well let me put it this way you're from the uk correct i am indeed yeah have you heard of russ kellett no i don't think i've heard of russ kellett presumably is a uk guy is he what does he do Russ Kellett, he was a guest of my show at one point, and he now runs his own show around extraterrestrials and UFOs over in the UK. He's been, okay. on, he's been on the UK news a lot and whatnot as well. He, since he was a teenager, supposed, has supposedly been abducted by extraterrestrials to fight in one of their armies. Really? This is where, where you'll have to find out where, whereabouts in the UK he lives. I'd love to talk to him. And I mean, I, I'll have to send you his. I'll, I'll have to send you his page, but I mean, he just, he has his own like podcast, he has his own podcast um, interview series now as well. And he, but he has pictures of like, and like stories like crazy of him being taken by extraterrestrials since he was a teenager. And he draws like what he remembers him looking like. And I mean, you couldn't think of the things he draws off the top of your head. Like I just, the fact that you live in the UK, I had to bring him up because it's just like <laughs> I, I know somebody in the UK who's been abducted by aliens for years. Like, like, that's two of us now. We're probably neighbors. <laughs> uh, I don't know about that. I mean, the UK is huge, but <laughs> oh, it's I mean, it's decent size at least. It's 
I mean, it's no America, but it's pretty damn big size. So there's yeah, a lot of people there. Pretty, there's a lot of people there too. I, I know a lot of people in the UK, but it's certainly certainly bigger than bigger than people think. I think. Oh God, yes. I mean, don't go by what the map shows you, people. <laughs> it looks it's bigger than it looks in the picture. Put it that way. But yeah, it's it, yeah. <laughs> but um, so. But I'm gonna go back a little bit because we were talking about like extraterrestrials being here since the beginning of time. How do you explain things like the pyramids and the ancient gods that all these ancient civilizations worshipped if it's not extraterrestrial based? Well, there's some really interesting there's some really interesting stuff around that, isn't there? And I'm a huge fan of the of the show Ancient Aliens. I love that. Um I, I love listening to that. I love trying to debunk it um you know i kind of sit there on my couch with a really skeptic perspective and and sometimes it is it is hard i mean you see some of the paintings don't you and things like that and you think geez you know that is that is pretty compelling evidence you know it's like a picture of a cow and then you know something above its head or whatever so i think that yeah i don't know what to make of it i don't know what to make of it i guess it's always subjective when it's a drawn image, painted image, or something like that. So that there's there's that, I guess. There's a really great documentary, actually. Um, so if you've not seen it, definitely watch it, um, and your listeners should definitely watch it as well. And it's called um, "The Revelations of the Pyramids." So if anybody's not seen that documentary, it's available on YouTube. I think if you search it. Uh, what a great documentary! I'm I, I'm absolutely hooked. I must have watched it twenty times, and in isolation, it gives you all of these different sort of little um, tidbits of evidence on the pyramids, and each one of them is like the most outrageous, ridiculous coincidence. But when you string them all together, there's like a hundred of them or something. So, and and when you get a hundred coincidences together, they're just that. That, that's no longer a coincidence. So there are some huge questions, I think, over things like the pyramids that we need to answer. I mean, you know, could we could we engineer that type of structure today? Um, maybe. But we, we should be able to do it easily, shouldn't we? We should be able to do it. You and me, Jeremy, should be able to knock up a pyramid like that uh, as accurately in our backyard. But But we stand no chance, even with all of our machines and our technology of getting this stuff so accurate. And you would have to ask the question as well. One thing that really really gets me about the pyramids is that we don't engage in projects like this anymore. Um, and when I and when I say projects like that, I mean these multi generational projects, because the people that put those pyramids up weren't putting them up for themselves. They were putting them up for generations and generations in the future. And I guess the closest thing that we've got to that at the moment are like big cathedrals and churches and religious buildings that have probably stood for a few hundred years but you know we're, we're talking much longer than that for the pyramids aren't we so it's it's a really interesting area of um area of research i don't know anything about it from a scientific perspective only from the stuff that i've watched um on documentaries and stuff on the television but it is really interesting and i think there's a huge amount of unanswered questions about it for sure I mean, yes, they were put for generations in the future to know about. And hey, Charles, how's it going, buddy? Glad to see you watching. And yeah, you want to talk even further from the UK? Let's talk Texas. But um, <laughs> Texas is closer to Japan than is UK. But um, 
I mean, I don't, I don't. I mean, yeah, they're they're putting up future generations in a self a selfish way, though. They're putting it up in a very selfish way in order to um, promote themselves. Basically, the pharaohs they just wanted to like make themselves be immortal. <laughs> they didn't care about the people of the future. It was just you're gonna remember me, and like I'm gonna build this. I'm gonna make slaves, or maybe, <laughs> maybe extraterrestrials build this huge monument towards me. Does it have sinister purposes besides worshiping me? Maybe. I'm not gonna tell you that, but maybe. Like maybe, yeah, maybe. I mean, they were pretty clever, weren't they, with doing things like shaping the blocks. So the blocks, you know, they 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 just took the blocks and shaped them to use the least amount of material possible because the material and the resources were so. Uh, precious because they had to travel so far and they were, you know, very, very heavy blocks. So they didn't like make square blocks or oblong blocks or, or triangular blocks or whatever it might be to tessellate the pyramid in some convenient shape. They just cut the minimum amount of material off the blocks um, to make them fit perfectly together with no bonding agent either. And um, they're, you know, they're like, it's the most earthquake proof structure that you could possibly build they're, they're incredible i don't know if you've ever been but um oh god no. yeah like I, said, like I said financial restraints keep me from going over the sea <laughs> but um i've been on the sea but i've never been over the sea but i i mean i just i mean yeah they're they're fascinating structures they truly are charles <laughs> and to me i mean i see the memes on facebook all the time where it's like a pyramid connected by and like then you'll see like underground there's these long buildings underground connecting all the pyramids and really? it's like what if the planet was built around the pyramids like what if the pyramids were here first like what if they're alien spaceships and they're buried in the ground waiting for a day to come like I guess, that, that's, yeah that's, that's the type of stuff that i like to wrap my head around and be like okay what if this is true what if this is a possibility why and how? I mean, I have, yeah, I, I get what you, where you're coming from with it. I mean, I've certainly, I've certainly seen some things, mostly in that, in that film that I was talking about that you can see on net, on, um, sorry, not Netflix, YouTube. Uh, and there are, there are some really fascinating things in it. Like, um, I guess where they look um, at certain p parts of the blocks and those blocks have got what for all the world to you and I would look like machining marks in them. So where they've been drilled, but you know, they got these guys just didn't have any kind of technology at all. I mean, they, they shape the blocks by whacking them with another block and a, and a, you know, primitive chisel. So this is not, this is not really, um, you know, something that makes logical sense, is it? And there's another thing as well, actually, which, um, again, is about documentary. And I guess not a lot of people know this, but the Giza Plateau is on a slight hill. And um, in order to um, supply that particular area with water, the, the Egyptians took water from um, the river, from the Nile. And for I think it's probably for about two or three miles they made it flow uphill using no pumps so there's no question about the fact that the egyptians were genius engineers absolutely genius engineers and things like i guess the the pyramid is aligned to true north it's got eight sides not four i don't know if you know that yeah. so um uh, making an eight-sided 
object is infinitely more complex and difficult than making a four-sided object at that level of accuracy. Um, the, th the three pyramids line up on the solstice with the stars of Orion. It's a fascinating structure, and we don't know anything much about it at all, I don't think. But, yeah, I think maybe if I hadn't have got into astrophysics, maybe I should have gone into Egyptology. So I'm fascinated by it. Yeah, I mean, and that right there, like everything you just said, Water flowing up fucking stream. I mean, come on. That's got to be extraterrestrial technology. I mean, come on. <laughs> no, no, we can do that. No, we can do that now. We can make water flow uphill. That's not too That's not too much of an issue. But I guess to do it without a knowledge of fluid dynamics and all this different stuff that we would do now, that we would use now, you know, these guys have got like bits of bamboo cane and, and little stoppers. That's how they made it flow uphill. They're very clever, very, very clever. There's actually another great piece of work that your listeners should um, go out and check out as well. And this is, um, I'm going to be I'm sort of like flying the flag for the boys here from the UK. So there's one of our guys, Graham Hancock, and he's been working. He's like a sort of, I don't know, I suppose you could call him a natural historian in a way. Um, and he's been working for about 30 years on this, on this big enigma that there's a lost civilization. This is what he thinks, and he's on a he's on like a one man mission to prove it. He's got some great documentaries that are available on YouTube and Netflix, I think. And um, yeah, he is utterly convinced that there that at some point, probably around the last ice age, there is um, evidence of a lost civilization completely. So uh, a, a, a a civilization which displayed enormous levels of technological prowess and intelligence for the time yes so um so it's kind of a cool and that is commonly believed by paranormal enthusiasts to be, yeah, I can the, believe that. to, to be the palladians okay are the are the basically the parents of star seeds i don't know if you've okay. heard that term before but um and basically that ties into like what i was going to ask you next actually because you're not the first well, actually, it's not what I was going to ask you next because I have another question before we finish up here. But a lot of people believe that's where Atlantis comes from, is there was an ancient civilization that was aliens and and they created humans or they bred with humans. Take your pick. But, I mean, they basically, it was an alien human race, like mixed race civilization. And they eventually got killed off by the Greeks, the Romans, and all these other tribes of humans that were gaining power at the time. Sure. I've certainly, not, I've certainly not heard that story, but I'd like to find out more about it. it sounds interesting. Well, Palladian. It starts with P. It starts with P L E. You got you got to Google the rest because I don't know the rest off the top of my head ever. Okay, yeah, sure. I was, I was have to Google the spelling, but um. <laughs> so that's. I mean, I've had I've had whole, whole episodes about that about people who were discovering Atlantis and that it was a Palladian mixed society with humans. But okay. The final question I was going to ask before we wrap it up for the night is, because I've had other astrophysicists on the show as well, and I am curious to your opinion on this. Okay. How, how do you explain the thousands of humans that say they've been abducted by aliens? Yeah, that's that. That is an interesting one. I think we. I think we have to be. I think there's always there's as with everything, Jeremy. I think there's a mix. So I think there are absolutely some. Um, people that aren't telling us the truth 
for sure. In, oh, in the same way that in, in the same way that there would be with anything that we that we ask. So I'm not saying that about everybody, but I'm saying there is a percentage. I don't know what that percentage is, but a percentage to be decided amongst ourselves of people that absolutely aren't telling us the truth. There's then another percentage of people that believe that they're telling us the truth, but that's in reality that's not what's happened. So for sure, there's the, the, that that is another group of people. And I think we do come to a smaller group of people, again, a subset of people from there that believe believe that they've um, gone through that experience and have in some in some instances, I would have to say from what I've seen, some relatively compelling, evidence or stories the, the problem with this is and let me explain this because i think this would be really interesting to your listeners and that the reason that i'm struggling with this from a scientific perspective is in every other walk of life so if like you and i go down the street whether it's in america or whether it's in the uk or whether we're in another part of europe or whether we're in Ash- africa or asia and we commit a crime and then we go to a court of law and we get like a judge that sits over us. If if you've committed that crime and I see you do it, my eyewitness testimony then becomes your downfall. I'll say, yeah, Jeremy's, Jeremy's guilty. I watched him do it. And, and that's good enough. And in a court of law, eyewitness testimony is the highest form of evidence. In science eyewitness testimony is the lowest form of evidence to the point where it's almost non-admissible. So if I go back to my colleagues and I say, um, I'm an astrophysicist, I'm a fellow of the Royal Astronomical Society in the UK, I saw a flying saucer land on my lawn last night, they'd go, well, that's great, prove it to me. They They wouldn't believe me because it's that empirical, repeatable, provable evidence right and that, that that's absolutely the way scientists work on that so i guess that's why i'm struggling with this a little bit because in every other walk of life eyewitness testimony is the highest form of evidence in my field in my occupation it's it's the lowest form to the point it's not admissible actually does that right. does that really answer your question it's another cop-out but i feel like i've sidestepped <laughs> it elegantly <laughs> it's an elegant cop-out that's for sure but um <laughs> But how do you take in the cases of then, say, Barney and Betty Hill or Travis Walton who were put under hypnotherapy? And- Travis Walton, yeah, Tra- Travis Walton. I don't know too much about Barney and Betty Hill, and I've heard, you know, I've heard the story. Travis Walton, I, I do know, you know, I would say probably as much as the rest of us about Travis Walton. I I've mean, watched the- you you can go on YouTube and listen to the therapist recordings with Betty Hill. Yeah, and yeah. Both her and Barney's stories line up in her therapy completely, and they line up with what would become a regular alien abduction story for the rest of the time. Basically, it's it's really difficult, isn't it? And let me let me let me liken it to this. I can. I was always going to bring this back to bring this back to science at one point or another. Um, so let me liken it to this. It's going to just take me humor me for thirty seconds while I go around this story. When life developed on Earth, and we don't. We don't really know how that happened, but we've got some we've got some strong um, we've got some strong hypothesis that uh, about how life was formed on Earth. So we think it was probably formed um, 
around a hydrothermal vent at the bottom of the ocean where we'd got um you know nice kind of soup of organic chemicals some energy some heat and we think at some point there um geochemistry turned into biochemistry and life sprung up so that's how we think microbial life happened so and that that existed on planet earth about as early as it possibly could so about as early as it was possible for that to spring up on earth it sprang up and it lasted like that for a few billion years and then uh, we had kind of i guess at that point two two kinds of or more than two, but two in the main squidgy bits of bacteria that were floating around. We had bacteria and archaea. And we think that uh, an archaea consumed the bacteria and survived. So those two, those two single-celled organisms, one consumed the other one, it survived, and when it and, and when then that those cells divided, they divided as a hybrid. And that is where intelligent life sprung from. Scientists call it the faithful encounter. And we think it probably happened on planet Earth once. And that's where everybody came from. And that is why you'll see, you'll hear people say, oh, I think an octopus is from, you know, an alien from another planet. It's not an alien from another planet. It's 99.8% the same DNA as you and me. So these types of things. And the reason I've said that is because if we go back to the Barney and Betty Hill thing, it could have happened once, Jeremy. It could have happened once. It could have happened twice. Travis Walton could be a second one. That is for sure. We can never, ever completely refute um, someone's story until we start picking it off for evidence. And it might be, if this phenomena is real, that it has happened just once or twice, like the inception of life on Earth. Because that's really weird. Everyone will have these ideas about how life sprung up on Earth or how it might spring up on other planets. We're pretty sure that's how it sprung up on Earth, and we're pretty sure that that second instance to spur intelligent life only happened once. So if some of these experiences that people are encountering, an alien abduction being one of them, has only happened a handful of times once or twice and the rest and the rest of the experiences that people are reporting are um erroneous and there is a lot of misinformation in there and a lot of people telling us lies then that is going to detract from those one or two true stories where evidence really starts to pour out and then people like me would start to take notice of it and and i guess with something like the travis walton case which i know the most about um just from what, again, from reading and watching the documentaries, the evidence there starts to compile into something that's pretty compelling. Travis can't remember his four or five missing days. His friends all passed polygraph tests. He turned up again. He'd got a spectacular story, a spectacular story, and has never moved from it. And, and I don't think the guy's been the same since. So it's obviously he's been through an experience that has hugely affected him. He's got five or six independent witnesses. Again, eyewitness testimony for me is a low form of evidence. But when you get five people all seeing the same thing, then that's a little bit different. When they pass a polygraph test, again, it's not a perfect science. But again, it's more evidence. It's mounting evidence. So I think with that, I would have to do my um, I would have to do my honourable scientific thing and sit firmly on the fence again and say, 
I can't explain it, but I wouldn't, but I wouldn't try to in any other way than the scientific method. And as Charles just said, they gain nothing by telling their story. So he believes both Barty and Betty Hill and Travis Walton. Yeah. And, and I, I would agree with Charles in that sense as well. And also somebody like Bob Lazar has not only, not only he's not gained anything from telling his story. He's suffered because of his story significantly, exactly. significantly. So there's no reason that Bob would choose to do this. He's not, um, he's not a guy that, I don't know. I'm talking like I know him. I don't know him. I'd love to meet him, um, but he—he <clears throat> he doesn't. He's not a guy that likes attention, so he's not, you know, a media whore that's going around trying to write books and go on TV shows and talk about. It. He hates talking about it, <clears throat> and and it's wrecked his life. And and there's no question about the fact that some of um, Bob's history as a scientist was was erased. You know, they did try they try to wipe him out. He 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 spent a long time telling people he used to work at Los Alamos uh, and that that evidence was removed all uh, until until some evidence, some, you know, um, remaining evidence was uncovered. And they, I think they found him in a yearbook or something. And he also took some he's I mean, he's a nuclear physicist. He took some tests. You know, that's not something that you just you don't kind of rock up somewhere and tell someone you're a nuclear physicist if you're not. Uh, because if you get, you know, if you get tested, like well, Bob, Bob's pretty compelling on his, he's pretty good at the tests. He's, he definitely knows what he's talking about. So he, he had, not only did he not have anything to gain from that, he actively lost from uh, conveying his story. So I don't know what to make of Bob. Uh, the, the, one, the, one, the one thing that really grips me about Bob's story is it all seems to hook around um, the propulsion system of the um of the craft that he claimed that he worked on and that's that's all you know that's pretty good i can understand bob in that i can understand what he's saying it makes sense it's the type of thing that we would try to do from a science perspective i can i can figure out in my head how he's saying it how he's saying that it, it appeared to work you know i get all that what really troubles me is that it all hooks around this sort of element 115 so he was saying the, the craft was the power, the fuel source, if you like, was this mysterious element 115. And then there was the, which didn't exist at the time. And then there was like this big um, fan. Oh. Lost you there, buddy. <laughs> Mid tense. Ah, oh, there we go. Yeah, hey, lost, you, lost you there for a second. <laughs> I'm back. Sorry. I think my, uh, I think my main camera, Jeremy, just kind of uh, ran out of battery. Uh sorry about that but yeah i'll just finish this little story off so um yeah so bob had this kind of thing about um element 115 that was his big that is element 115 was the fuel source and um you know it was it was something it was an element that didn't exist in the periodic table and then later on much later on 20 years 30 years later uh, scientists discovered it and then all of a sudden it was on the periodic table and bob was um absolutely um, you know, he was he was kind of <sighs> held up on a pedestal and said, OK, so it turns out Bob was right. Now, my, my problem with this is that elements on the periodic table are cl classified by number. So if I just say to you, are oh, they, you know, I found something, can it use as element 215 on the periodic table? There's a good chance that 215 will be discovered at some point, because when we find a new element, we give it the next number in the sequence. Yeah. So that was my that was kind of my problem with that. It was a it was a cheap shot guess. And I, and I guess I don't know whether 
Bob is telling the truth and he just that just happens to be a you know a bit of a niggly coincidence but that that was kind of you know it's kind of me predicting that before long it's going to be 8 p.m or something and then all of a sudden 8 p.m rolls around and I'm right it was inevitable that that was going to happen so I guess what would be really compelling <clears throat> really really compelling and what would what would turn me from a skeptic into a believer is if the work that goes on in science examines element 115 which at the moment is radioactive so we can't use it and they manage to find a stable isotope for element 115 and that sounds like a nothing it might be a real um it might even sound almost like gobbledygook i guess to your listeners but that to a scientist would be irrefutable proof that bob lazar was telling the truth it wouldn't exactly. take exactly and we're not. We can't, we don't even have time to get into all the people that have reported being abducted by aliens and then come back and they have some kind of metal fragment in their skin that's not a metal that's found on Earth. Like that's a whole other realm we could jump into. But before we get out of here, tell people where they can find your 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 organization and everything you do. Sure. Thank you for that. Yeah. No, I really like. I'd really enjoy doing that. So my organisation is called the Average Scientist. So um, we do a bunch of a bunch of stuff in terms of research. So we do um, we work with various organisations to conduct real astrophysics research. But what we do on the outreach side, which you'll find predominantly on the website, is we write a bunch of articles. They're all um, accessible, digestible explainers. So if you want to know what an astrophysicist thinks a black hole is. You can go on there and I've written some articles and some of my colleagues have, but they're not super nerdy, full of maths articles. They're written to be accessible. And what we don't do is we don't dumb them down and insult people. We just write the science, but without the math. So they should be relatively understandable and digestible for everyone. As well as doing that, we also produce podcasts ourselves um, and we we have a YouTube channel, we make videos and we do live talks of which I'd love to co come over and do some live talks in the States. I haven't had the opportunity to do that yet, but I would love to. So maybe we'll see some of your listeners at some point over the next year or two in the States, but that's where you can, that's where you can find us online. You can find us on Facebook, TikTok, Instagram, just to shove in the average scientist and we'll come up. And if you want to go hit up the website directly, it is www.theaveragescientist.co.uk or .com. Lovely. And if you're coming to the United States and you're on the East Coast, let me know. And oh, I, I made to come I made to come to Bay Aliens with you in a live stage. But um <laughs> we should continue this conversation over many beers. Oh, I agree. <laughs> um, <laughs> all my listeners, you know where you can find me. Stay tuned for the outro if you don't know. But I want to thank Ian for coming on because it's been an amazing episode. And maybe we'll work together in the future someday on something. We'll see. But Certainly until then. Thanks so much for having me, Jeremy, and thanks everyone for listening. My pleasure, and thank you to all my listeners, and thank you to all my watchers. I will see you all next time. You can find me on Facebook as Jeremy Bryant, or you can find me as Uncensored, Unapologetic, and Untamed UQ Podcast Collective group, Facebook group. You can find me on Twitter and the Instagram as at JuggaloBastard, or should I say X now? And you can find me on TikTok as at Podcast. You can also find me on YouTube as Paranormal New Normal, and you can also find me streaming on YouTube as Blind Knowledge Network, because all knowledge is blind until they admit Bigfoot exists.